All right, we're continuing on through our study through the book of Exodus, and today we're going to do the Sabbath law, uh, so it should be uh, interesting. But let's begin now in a word of prayer. Father, I pray in all of this we don't get lost in the principle that you were trying to teach with the Sabbath law, that we understand it well, and that we understand uh, how it might apply to us and how it might not apply to us. It has been misunderstood by so many And so we're going to give a shot at it today. I I pray that you guide our study, help us to understand it for what you wish us to glean from it, that you might be glorified in all things and help us understand perhaps how the Testaments are put together as well today, uh, at least a little bit with our discussion. Uh, Lord, we just love you and ask that you would be glorified in all things in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So Exodus chapter 20 verses eight through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so um, it's a pretty straightforward law. Uh, we, we see different things about it as we go through the scripture. What exactly are they to do and not do on the Sabbath? They're not to do any work. Obviously, that's very clear in the law there. And yet they can meet together, at least uh, in some way. It's a little bit ambiguous and vague in how they're meeting. Uh, Remember, this is a large assembly in the wilderness, so literally meeting might just mean that you get out of your tent and stand next to it um, because they're they're such a large congregation. Um, They're not to to kindle any fire on the Sabbath. They're not to uh, gather food. On the Sabbath, they're not to prepare food on the Sabbath, they're to prepare the day before and then have some left over for the following day. And so they're basically not to do anything that they normally would do on a regular day. Uh, This day is to be set apart. Uh, The priests, however, they do work on the Sabbath. They actually prepare these, uh, the showbread, the cakes, all that, and all of that. And they um, they provide sacrifices on the Sabbath, and so uh, they they do do Sabbath on that uh, in that way. Many people think that Sabbath eventually develops into the idea that well, it's a day of meditation and things of that nature. So the priests may have taught on the Sabbath as well, and so you can see some overlap to what we're doing on Sunday, and we'll talk about this a little bit on whether or not Sabbath is uh, the Sunday. But essentially, you understand that Sabbath then is commemorating the seventh day. And it gives us the reason why here, and it's going to give us another reason in Deuteronomy. The, the reason given here is because God made the heavens and earth in the Genesis account, um, that it's set up under the structure of seven days and rested on the seventh day. Now, I would argue, based on what we already talked about in Genesis 1, that this is an analogy, that God didn't literally do this necessarily in seven days, especially because you don't even have days going on in the beginning days. There's no sun and uh, and moon and all that sort of thing. Um, 
And then the idea that God rested, well, obviously we don't believe that God literally rested, that he somehow exhausted himself for six days and then he took a nap on the seventh. That's not the point. If you remember back in Genesis 1, uh, the seven-day structure with God resting at the end is God building his temple. That is, he's, he's ordering a chaotic world and he therefore rests as an ancient or Eastern God would rest, meaning that he sits on his throne to rule over it. It then is, is talking about his sovereignty over everything. If you remember, the, the creation itself, the cosmos, is God's throne. It's his temple. That's why in Isaiah 66, he says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where then is there a place, a house that you're going to build for me? You're, you're not going to be able to build a temple that I'm living in. The universe is my temple. Well, that's that's the theology of Genesis 1, and that's the theology that Sabbath is really conveying. The observance of Sabbath is basically God's people saying, you are the creator, you overruled chaos, you will overrule chaos, you will be sovereign over it, and we are going to acknowledge that you are sovereign over chaos. And we will acknowledge that by saying, I'm not going to do work on this particular day, the day which you rested yourself, the day in the analogy, in order to say that I don't need to gather today, I don't need to work today because God is sovereign over my life, he's sovereign over creation, and I will not die today by not gathering. Um, I will cease from work to, to represent God's sovereignty over me. And we will do it as a community to represent God's sovereignty over the community. And so what it's doing, what Sabbath ultimately is doing, is it's commemorating a uh, creation. It's commemorating God's sovereignty in creation. And it's praising God in that creation that he has overcome. Now, in Deuteronomy, the reason given for Sabbath is not that creation event, the original one, it's the other creation event, which we talked about in Exodus already, which is the deliverance of his people. That's why you have them basically delivered. Uh, you know, it's dark and all, all that through darkness, but ultimately the splitting of the waters as you have in creation, God bringing his people on dry land, just like in creation, and creating a people for himself. And so it commemorates that creation as well. In Deuteronomy. And so we understand that the Sabbath day was to commemorate creation and God's sovereignty over chaos. And so God overcame that chaos in Genesis 1 in the original creation, and God overcomes the chaos of the slavery of his people in Egypt. And so through the Exodus, it's the second creation account that Sabbath commemorates as well. So Sabbath commemorates both of those creation accounts. Very important. Now, we understand that it also then will foreshadow something in the future. <clears throat> it will foreshadow another Sabbath that the writer of Hebrews will talk about. And, uh, and ultimately, that will be the new creation. And, um, and so it will foreshadow that sort of thing. But, but it's very important to understand that the Old Testament Sabbath is commemorating not the future thing. It's commemorating. It's, you're remembering it. It's something in the past. You're remembering the Exodus. You're remembering the creation of the world and God's sovereignty over that. You are saying God's sovereignty by observing that Sabbath in the Old Testament. Again, this is very important to understand if you're going to understand how we view 
the New Testament and how we view whether we should be observing that Sabbath of the Old Covenant and whether that law then is even in effect for us. Um, and then talk about those implications. I realize this is a massive debate and we are not going to be able to talk about everything today. But we'll also readdress this issue again. We're coming up in Matthew 12 and Christ is going to deal with it then. And, and we'll talk about uh, all these things as well. But we'll, we'll try to get to as much as we can today. So to start this whole discussion, I, I want to... Um, after you know defining Sabbath, I want to show you what what is the penalty for not observing Sabbath in the Old Testament. Well, the penalty is of course death, and so you would have this example of this uh, this guy who goes out and collects things on the Sabbath in uh, the Book of Numbers, and so I want to I want to give you uh, this story. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And Yahweh said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as Yahweh commanded Moses. Now, why was he to be stoned with stones? Because he just happened to be picking up stuff on on the wrong day? No, because of the theology we just spoke of, that you are saying that God is sovereign on the Sabbath. That's what Israel was saying by observing the Sabbath. So what was it saying if it didn't observe the Sabbath? What was Israel saying if it profaned the Sabbath, if it made it just a regular day like any other day? It was saying that God wasn't sovereign. You cannot trust him. Ultimately, don't follow him. Not as your your primary God. Follow yourself and your own intuition in order to then know how you should survive. But you can't follow God. So ultimately, it's a calling away to other gods. Because it's saying that, um, that uh, you cannot trust Yahweh. You cannot trust him. You must trust another God that is yourself. And therefore pick up sticks on the Sabbath. And so it's very important that that's why it brought about death. Not because God cares about days as though days are inherently good or evil. There is nothing inherently good or evil about a day. There's nothing inherently good or evil about the Sabbath. And this is going to be very important. There's nothing inherently good or evil. Now, obviously it's inherently good or evil to obey God. So if God tells you to observe a Sabbath, then you would do it as Israel. That's true. If God told you to take out your garbage on Wednesdays, then it's inherently moral that you obey God. But there's nothing inherently moral about taking out your garbage on Wednesdays. It's just that obeying God is inherently moral. And so if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's very important to understand that All of the commandments, except for the Sabbath commandment, are inherently moral. All of them. Now, what the Sabbath says for Israel, because it's a covenant with Israel, um, and I'll read this to you. This is Leviticus 24.8. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from, uh, from the people of Israel as a covenant, Olam, that is... uh, 
perpetually without without interruption, that sort of thing. Six days work shall be done. This is Exodus 35, 2 and 3. But on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So this is telling you a little bit of what you can and cannot do uh, on the Sabbath. Um, in Exodus 31, verses uh, 13 through 16, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign, a sign, a symbol, not an inherent moral thing, a sign or a symbol between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you, set apart for you, Israel. Everyone who profanes it, that is, makes it common, shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Verse 16, therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant olam, that is an uninterrupted covenant. So it's a covenant between God and Israel, physical Israel, uh, as they are in the land. It's a covenant for them to signify that covenant. In other words, it's, it's a symbol, a sign. It's not something within itself. A sign signifies something, right? So what does it signify for Israel? Well, it, it signifies for them that God is sovereign over creation and over their lives. And so they're going to use this symbol to communicate that. The question's going to become, do we as the church need to use that same symbol that references the exodus and the original creation? Now, I would argue that, that we celebrate the original creation or something that, that's said in the original creation because we're going to celebrate the new creation to come. But the issue is whether we're celebrating and commemorating the old creation and its completion. And I would argue to you that no, we don't. We don't celebrate what, what uh, Israel in the wilderness and Israel in its land celebrated in the old covenant. Now, um, why am I saying that? Here's Ephesians 2.11. So everybody re reads Ephesians 2.8.9. You know, by grace you've been saved, that whole thing. Some people might add 10. Uh, for you've been created in Christ Jesus, you know, uh, to do good works and all that sort of thing. But here's 11 and following. So, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, that is your Gentiles according to your actual, like, birth, your actual ethnicity, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the people performing these external signs, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, that is the physical signs, remember that you were at that time previously separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't a part of physical Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace. He's our shalom. Shalom is very much connected to Shabbat, by the way, very much connected to Sabbath. He is our peace who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What was the dividing wall? What's the distinction between Jews and Gentiles? It's their external rituals. It's not the moral law. You can find the moral law in Hammurabi's code. You can find the moral law in the conscience of man. The ritual law is the law that separated Jew from Gentile. That's why the Jews were so keen on observing it. That's why it even got out of hand to where they just thought this was everything, because ultimately this is what distinguishes us from Gentiles. The clean people from the unclean people. So he broke that barrier down. How did he break it down? By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, uh, the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two, that is the Jew and the Gentile, into one new man, Jewish and Gentile groups, into the one new man, the church, thus establishing shalom and might reconcile them both in one body to God through not the rituals, but through the cross, by it having put to death the, hus- the hostile thing, the-, the enmity. Now, again, what was the enmity? Go back up to 15. He a- abolished this enmity. What-, what is this enmity that he put to death and abolished? The law of content of commandments, which were the ordinances, which is a reference to the ritual law. He's not saying he abolished morality. In fact, the rest of Ephesians is going to be like, no, be imitators of God. Don't steal. Don't uh, slander and destroy and, and murder and commit adultery and sexual immorality and all of that. The moral law stands. And we're going to see this in Matthew as well. Jesus himself is going to argue this. The ritual law has been abolished. That's what it means when the the Bible talks about the old covenant has been done away. It's not talking about the moral law. The moral law is God's character. It's never done away. What it's talking about is the actual rituals, the signs, the symbols, which the Old Testament we just saw calls the Sabbath as a sign. That's done away with. That's gone circumcision was a sign gone and the new testament is explicitly explicit about that right because the jews were like well no you need to be circumcised as a gentile and the apostles were like no you don't but you do actually not you need to refrain from worshiping other gods and you do need to refrain from uh sexual morality both those representing false worship and uh in terms of theology and false ethics and and bad morals immorality so you do need to observe those things, but you don't need to observe the rituals, the Jewish ritual. You don't need to become Jewish because it's directly through the cross of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, who is the true Israel, that you actually fulfill those things. So it's not that you're not fulfilling the law of the ritual. It's just that Jesus fulfilled them. So we don't need to do those things anymore. Now, is there a day that we might observe that we might express uh, that we believe in God's sovereignty. Well, the church has always said that that's every day. 
Uh, that's not a particular day. We observe every day that way. Is there a day where we, we acknowledge the new creation to come through uh, cleaning our lives out and living according to eternity? Yeah, that's every day. Now, is there a day that we gather together to observe that? Well, actually, in the early church, it was every day. But there is a specific day that we gather together because we want to commemorate what the Lord has done through the resurrection as we look forward to the celebration and joy that we will have in the new heavens and new earth. And so what we do is we take a day that represents that day, that, that eternal rest, that eternal shalom, and we celebrate it based on the Lord's resurrection, that is the new birth. Um, the new creation that is is uh, represented by his resurrection. That's the Lord's day. That's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday and it commemorated the Exodus and the original creation of the world and looking forward to God completing the original world. Sunday looks forward to the new creation that once the world has already been completed. So if you want to view it this way, the creation account with God resting looks forward to God finishing that side of creation. So it's, it's, it's looking forward to God coming, doing away with chaos once and for all. Death is done away with. That's it. And, it. and it looks forward to that. And it also has the foreshadowing in the commemoration of the Exodus and the freedom from slavery, from sin and all of that sort of thing. That's what the Jews were celebrating. The church is looking forward to the, the new creation and new earth, the existence of uh, the, the life and existence we have there, and is celebrating it today on Sunday. So that on Sunday, we celebrate the new creation. In other words, once it's all been done, we're celebrating the shalom as though we were in it. So if you want to call that a Sabbath, we're celebrating that eternal Sabbath in that way. That's fine. You can call it a Sabbath if you want to call Sunday a Sabbath. The early church argued that every day is a Sabbath. Uh, we would argue that Sunday obviously can be a Sabbath, but it's not the Sabbath of the Old Covenant. That's not what it is. And so if you read very early in the church from like, you know, from the Didache or Ignatius or the Epistle of Barnabas or any of these guys are, are still in the first century, still in the time of the apostles. When they're talking about Sabbath, they're talking about it as uh, something we don't celebrate. We don't celebrate the Jewish Sabbath. The churches don't celebrate it. Anyone trying to argue today that the early church celebrated the Sabbath is wrong. And it's not just that Ignatius didn't celebrate it or Barnabas didn't celebrate it or the Didache didn't celebrate it. They're saying that the churches, period, don't celebrate it. They're making universal statements. They're not saying, they're not giving arguments why you shouldn't celebrate it. They're making statements saying the early church doesn't celebrate it. We celebrate instead, they say, the Lord's Day, a different day, and it's not the Sabbath. And we do so as the church fathers look at this day and they talk about it. They, they talk about it as the eighth day, the new creation. We're not celebrating anything in the old. And so we do celebrate God's sovereignty on the eighth day, the new creation, but it's not the Sabbath. 
So anyone who's like, well, we got to obey all the Ten Commandments, where does that say, where does it say you need to obey, obey all the Ten Commandments in the New Testament? All nine of the inherently moral commands are repeated because you are to obey all inherently moral commands of the Old Testament too. That, that's the character of God and it's the character of God into the new. But the Sabbath law is never repeated in the New Testament as something that Christians need to obey. And they, they're never seen as observing it. Whenever they're in a synagogue on Sabbath, they're actually arguing for the gospel. They're not there to like meditate on the scriptures and just uh, kind of like listen in Sabbath and obey those. They're not doing that. They're becoming Jews in order to communicate to Jews, becoming all things to all men in order to save them. But they're not, they're not get gathering as the church on, on, uh, on the Sabbath. So very important to understand that, that, when Paul then says things like, let no man judge you concerning a new moon or a festival or a Sabbath in Colossians 2, he's not, um, he's not merely saying, uh, yeah, you know, you guys are all celebrating it, but don't let anybody judge you for celebrating it. The point he's making in that text is that Christ is the fulfillment of those things. Therefore, you're free to practice them if you want, and you're free to pra not practice them if you want. You can observe those things and you can decide not to. The same thing that Paul does in Romans and people, I think, confuse us. They're like, well, let's talk about fasting and all that sort of thing with the whole Hebrew roots movement uh, trying to make these arguments. Uh, they ignore the context. Paul is breaking it down between the moral law. Once now that we've, uh, we've uh, established that we are Israel, he's breaking it down between what we do now as Israel with the moral law, with the civil law, and then with the ritual law. And guess what? The ritual law is preferential. You're free to observe it, but it doesn't make you holier than the next guy who doesn't. Um, it doesn't make you holy at all. And that's the argument in Colossians as well. These things have no power to make you holy. They're just signs and symbols. We they're shadows. We now have the substance, which is Christ. Christ makes you holy. You don't need them then. You don't need to observe a day. What does a day have to do with anything? <clears throat> Nothing. And so very important for us to understand then that the, the Sabbath is not something that transfers over to the church. It was something that communicated to Israel that God is sovereign. It was something that was a sign with his covenant with Israel in the wilderness, in the land, as his people, the same as circumcision, the same as other physical things that in Jeremiah says, I'm now going to do something new. I'm going to give you a new covenant. The old one was written on tablets. Uh, the old one was external stuff. There was temples and tablets. And this is the, the argument of, of Octor in Hebrews. that the, the old one consisted of this external stuff. The new one's going to be written on your heart. Now, it's the same moral law written on your heart. The same moral law. So it's just not going to be written on the tablets. It's going to be written on your heart. And we see that in the New Testament. So all nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated. And then many of the other commandments that are moral are repeated. Because their aspects, they're summed up by what? Love. Love of God and love of your neighbor. In fact, Paul argues that love of neighbor actually sums up the entirety of the law. Well, how does the Sabbath have anything to do with that? You observing a particular day loves your neighbor? Well, not really. 
Now, um, it is important to understand that when they met in Acts, we can kind of see them starting to meet on the Lord's Day. And it was, it was to do so for the purpose of commemorating the Lord's resurrection and all that. So I want to read this to you real quick. <clears throat> Sabbath commemorates a creation event. That's what a Sabbath is. The Old Testament Sabbath commemorates one of two salvation events, or both. The original creation and its link to the creation of the Exodus. Although it is not wrong to celebrate this event as a Christian, it is not the celebration of creation, that particular creation, that we celebrate in the New Testament. The day itself is changed from the seventh day to the first day to indicate the change of the celebration event from the final day of the old creation, that is the completion of the creation as foreseen by Genesis 1 and foreshadowed by the Exodus event to the first day of the new creation, the new heavens and earth. Hence, we celebrate the Lord's Day and it is never referred to as the Sabbath, as such a designation would confuse the two days and the two different sides of creation that they celebrate. The Lord's Day is the day of first fruits, the day of Christ's resurrection. He, not just as God's son, but as Jesus the human being, has already entered into the blessings of the new heaven and new earth through the resurrection from the dead. He is our pledge of the new world, and we celebrate not only God's victory over the chaos of the former world, but the joy and fellowship and order of the new world that Christ has already tasted for all of us. Hence, whereas the former Sabbath was characterized by rest, the ceasing from the war against chaos and God's sovereignty over all creation, the latter celebration of the Lord's Day is characterized not by rest, but by the joy and fellowship that will mark our lives in the world to come. Hence, our Sabbath day is the new creation to come, and our celebration on Sunday, the first day of that creation, is celebrated now to display our participation in the new world. I realize that was a lot to chew on. My point is that basically they're not the same thing. We're not celebrating Sabbath on Sunday. Day, uh, on Sunday. It's not the Sabbath day. Sabbath is Saturday. Sunday is the Lord's day. They're not confused in the early church. They're not confused in the New Testament. They're distinct. We confuse them later on because the reformers wanted to make an argument that, well, yeah, you should obey all the Ten Commandments. So we should kind of obey the Sabbath in some way. But it's not really Saturday and we're not Jewish. And so we'll make it the Lord's Day because there's some overlap on what you might do on both days. You're still celebrating creation on both days. And so Sunday can be seen as a Sabbath. But it's not the Sabbath, and I think they were mistaken. It was an innovation of the Reformation, and therefore I would say it was an error. <clears throat> and so when you're reading Westminster and you think, well, I just follow the Westminster Confession, because I'm just going to trust in that. Well, the Westminster Confession contradicts what all the early church fathers say. So you're going to go against the early church because you authority and reasons? I don't, I don't get it. Like... If you're going to trust in church authority, then trust in the early church's authority. And so if you have an innovation like that, uh, it better be really clear biblically that we're to obey the Sabbath and Sunday is the Sabbath. And yet it's very clear that that's not the case. 
The Sabbath is something completely different. And so Sunday is not the Sabbath day. It's also very clear that we don't need to observe the Sabbath day as a Gentile church. You don't really need to observe it as a Jewish church. You don't need to observe it, period, because the one, the two groups have become one new man, and that thing has been put to death, as we just saw. It's been abolished. Now, how do you reconcile that with Jesus saying, well, I didn't come to abolish the law? People use that passage as though that means the ritual law and the celebrations and the Sabbath is still in effect. Jesus in Matthew tells you what he means by the law. He means the whole point of the law and the prophets, which is the character of God, the morality of the law is not abolished. That's the point throughout Matthew. That's why he gives you all these laws, and they're not ritual laws, they're moral laws. That's why he's going to give you the Ten Commandments in Matthew, but nine of them you do, you obey, and the Sabbath law, that that's made for man, and Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and his disciples break the Sabbath, and he breaks the Sabbath by healing the man, and, and that's all right, because he's Lord of the Sabbath. It's a ritual. There's nothing inherently moral or immoral about the day. And that's his point in Matthew 12. We'll get there. I realize other people try to argue differently, but we'll talk about those arguments when we get to Matthew 12. I'm not going to deal with them today. Now, does this mean that because we don't observe the specific Sabbath that we just, or, or because we observe the Lord's Day and not the Sabbath, that the Lord's Day is the only day we gather on? Absolutely not. And this is part of the problem of thinking you're fulfilling some law of the Sabbath by getting together on Sunday. Because people then think, well, I've done it then. I, I've got together on Sunday. I'm good. I'll see you next Sunday. And that's not what the early church is doing. They're getting together like every day or whenever they can, as much as possible. They're living life together. Sunday is simply the commemoration that they're gathering together to meet the, their due communion, all that sort of thing, um, to look forward to the new creation. But then they're living the rest of the week in that new creation. And this is why we as a church, we don't redo the communion on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or Friday night. We, we don't do that because we see all of this as an extension of Sunday. It's the whole week. The first day starts off the whole week as we observe God's sovereignty every day. And we cleanse our lives out every day, not just on Sunday. And we therefore fellowship with one another as much as we can throughout the week, not just on Sunday, as though we're just obeying the Sabbath law by getting together one day a week. So that's, that's the wrong way to take it. We'd simply meet on, on Sunday for a specific reason on, in terms of what it communicates. Nothing even commands us to meet on Sunday. We do it ultimately because of what the day communicates and that we're looking for, for uh, the new creation. But in reality, we're to meet together, period, and have fellowship and, uh, and to submit ourselves to the apostolic teaching um, and to give to the poor and all of that sort of thing, to take care of one another every day of the week, not just some of them. So uh, I think it's very important to understand that's what the Sabbath day essentially is. Now, when was the Sabbath day? Well, it's clear that they met uh, on the evening uh, probably around six o'clock sometime, although there's not, not necessarily a clear, you know, clear cut time or something. Um, probably around six o'clock on Friday to six o'clock on Saturday. 
And uh, remember, you know, their, their Sabbath, just like in the creation account, from evening to morning the first day, evening, morning, second day, evening, morning, the third day. Um, so it starts in the evening, ends in the morning. Most of their festivals seem to do this and follow this pattern. They can also follow the other pattern of just a regular day, but, but most of the festivals or holy days start on one day, end on another. And so even in the early church, the Lord's Day may have actually started... Uh, if you read in Acts 20, it may have actually started in the evening on Saturday and then ended in the, the next day, um, the next day, quote unquote, on Sunday around six o'clock or what have you. Um, so ironically, those who are, you know, wanting to be Sabbatarians, but they're not observing it at six o'clock on Saturday are not actually observing the full Sunday Sabbath, if that's what they believe. But again, as I argued, it's it's not um, it, it's not a Sabbath. Now, you might say, I thought the Sabbath was supposed to be eternal, right? It, it, it said in the Old Testament that this is an eternal thing for you. Well, Leviticus twenty four eight, every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. It's translated right. The word olam, however, doesn't always mean forever. You have laws like, you know, uh, if, the, if the slave doesn't want to go out of your house, then he'll be your slave forever. Well, not really. I mean, or you're, you're to light the lamps forever. Well, I mean, there's no lamps today. Um, and so forever doesn't always mean forever. Olam has the idea of it can mean forever, but it has the idea of either perpetuity, <coughs> meaning without interruption, or it's just some undefined long time, you know, and, until I tell you otherwise, you're going to do this type thing. It can mean eternal as well, but then we see in the Bible that it's not eternal, that it was just meant to be without interruption and until the time that God said, okay, that's it. Um, and that's basically what it is. As opposed to a law that can be changed, you know, just within you know, a few decades or just for right now or something of that. This is something that's to be continually done by Israel until God says that's that's it. And uh, he said that's it by putting it to death on the cross, that, that wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. <clears throat> so um, all the Gospels call Sunday the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose, uh, they're already meeting on the first day of the week in Luke 24. In John 20, they meet on the first day of the week, but Thomas isn't there. And so it's the next gathering that suddenly Thomas comes and uh, and they meet uh, then. And so it kind of shows you they're meeting Sunday the Sunday and all that. Acts 27 talks about them meeting on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. So they were gathered together to break bread on that particular day. It would be odd to say that if they were doing it every single day, uh, sitting under the apostolic teaching and breaking bread specifically as a celebration or something. But, uh, but again, we know they do meet every day for fellowship. They do meet every day to talk about the apostolic teaching and, and all that sort of thing and to have a meal together. That's true. So it, someone could make that argument technically. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, the collection is to be taken up on the first day of every week, showing again that they're doing that. Revelation 1.10, John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, referencing the day that Christ rose from the dead. But again, not one passage in the New Testament commands that Christians are to keep the Sabbath. There's really no command 
to uh, do it on Sunday. You understand that we do it for a theological reason. I think it's good. I think we should use Sunday as that day. I feel continuity between the early church and ourselves since we've always done it that way. But it doesn't limit when we're supposed to get together, as I said before. It's very important we understand that we meet other, you know, throughout the week otherwise. Um, now, one command tells us to obey the Sabbath. And so that whole idea, I think, just flies out the window. Um, Galatians 4, 10 through 11 rebukes the idea that one must observe specific days as holy days in order to be justified. And so that idea that they need to somehow observe the days in order to be sanctified and Jewish and all that sort of thing is thrown out the window as well. Paul explicitly refers to the Sabbath as a shadow of Christ, as we mentioned before. Um, But someone might say the early church changed it. And you've heard this. I think you've heard this argument if you've ever talked to ever talked to some sort of Sabbatarian that, um, that the early church changed it like in the fourth century or something. Uh, that's not true. Let me give you, this is the didache. This is the first century. But every Lord's day, you gather yourselves together and break bread. This is to the church in general and giving thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. Here's the letter of Barnabas, also first century. Since therefore the days are evil and Satan possesses the power of this world, we ought to give heed to ourselves and diligently inquire into the ordinances of the Lord. Fear and patience, then, are helpers of our faith, and long-suffering and countenance are things which fight on our side. While these remain pure in what respects the Lord, wisdom, understanding, science, and knowledge rejoice along with them. For he has revealed to us by the prophets that he needs neither sacrifices, nor burnt offerings, nor oblations, saying thus, what is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? I am full of burnt offerings and do not desire the fat of lambs and the blood of bulls and goats, not when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hands. Tread no more courts, not though ye bring with you fine flour. Incense is a vain abomination to me. Your new moons and Sabbaths I cannot endure." He has therefore, this is Barnabas again, abolished these things, what things? Sabbaths, new moons, uh, that the new law of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is without yoke of necessity, might have a human oblation. Further, he says to them, your new moons and your Sabbath I cannot endure. You perceive how he speaks. Your present Sabbaths are not acceptable to me, but that is which I have made, namely this, when giving rest to all things, I shall make a beginning of the eighth day that is a beginning of another world. Wherefore also we keep the eighth day, that is Sunday, which is joyfulness, the day also on which Jesus rose again from the dead. And when he had manifest himself, he ascended into the heavens. Um, Ignatius talks about it. Justin Martyr talks about it. goes on and on. Augustine, I mean, all of these guys. So, Again, uh, we celebrate the first day of the week. It is not the Sabbath. And let me just encourage you now, along those same lines then, that if you are a Sabbatarian and you believe you need to be there on every Sunday and you're obeying the Sabbath law, let me encourage you then to actually obey the spirit of the Sabbath and submit yourself to apostolic teaching, fellowship with the saints, and uh, take care of one another. 
because I see a lot of, a lot of Sabbatarians making their one to two hour visit to church. They take off and do their own thing because they need to rest on the Sabbath day. And yet they're not actually fulfilling the whole point of either the Sabbath day, but also the Lord's day. Like if you really believe this is a holy day, you want to celebrate the Lord's day as a Sabbath day, then do it. Do what the Lord wants you to do on the Sabbath day. Why he's called you to the Sabbath. Why he's called you to the Lord's day. He hasn't called you to the Sabbath, but why he's called you to the Lord's day. Why he called his people to the Sabbath to begin with. The Lord's Day is about what? It's about fellowshipping in the apostolic teaching. You have to go then to church to learn it. Right? You've got to actually partake in these studies. You've got to then fellowship in the teaching you're given. And hopefully you apply that to your lives to where you are changed and you are loving toward one another, taking care of one another. So there's total transformation that takes place. If you think the fulfillment of Sabbath is stay home and take a nap, you neither understand the Old Testament Sabbath or the Lord's Day in the New. If you want to set aside a day to worship God, great. Worship God that way. But I would also encourage you then to worship God every day so that when you come together on Sunday, you're also fulfilling the love of God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday too. Rather than thinking, okay, I've punched my card on Sunday, got it, I obeyed the Sabbath law, I'm out of here. We don't obey the Sabbath law anyway. It's the Lord's Day. And it's not about you even checking something or replacing the Sabbath with the Lord's Day to make it a second Sabbath. It's really about you understanding what these days communicate, what they're about, why you're meeting together on these days, and therefore fulfilling them to the utmost. So let's live life together in, in, in view of the new creation to come. Let's meet together on Sundays Let's uh, submit ourselves to the apostolic teaching as it comes through the various means, whether uh, physically present or through these studies, uh, whatever it may be. And let's fellowship and love one another, taking care of one another as the early church did, because that's what Jesus commands us. That's the ultimate fulfillment of the moral law. And that's what we're going to be judged by in the end. No one is going to get on judgment day. No one who belongs to the church will come before Christ and Christ have, have uh, uh, Christ say to them, you know what, you didn't actually obey my Sabbath. Did everything else. I mean, you, you loved my people, you, you submit to my teaching, uh, you, uh, you fellowshiped and everything, with, but, but you didn't actually observe the Sabbath. So, sorry. That's not going to happen. So again, let's submit ourselves to what this all means. Let's actually convey the theology that it means by coming together in our assemblies, by coming together to submit to apostolic teaching, by coming together to fellowship and to love one another, and then we'll really fulfill the law and the prophets. Not by merely observing rituals, which are external, but by having these things written on our minds, in our lives, in the inward man, and having them flow out of our lives to one another. Let's pray. 
Father, I realize this is a complicated study. I could have gotten into about 50 different things and, uh, you know, a thousand different arguments, and I eventually will cover these as we go through Scripture. But right now, I, I feel that we need to look at the core of what these things are, what they mean for us, and the implications they have in terms of how we gather together with one another, in terms of uh, how we think about meeting with one another, that it shouldn't be some limitation to merely a single day, even though that single day, it, it, it may be the, the central focus of the rest of the days, but that we don't just merely show up, say hi, say bye, and then see each other a week later. Father, we need to actually live life with one another. We need to be fellowshipping as much as we can, setting ourselves under your teaching as much as we can. The time is short. And we don't have a whole lot of time to do this. We need to fill our time with these things. Father, convict us that in order to really obey your commandments, we actually have to uh, hear the word preached. We have to fellowship in the word that is preached. And we have to then live out in our love for one another the word that is preached. And I pray that if we don't understand that, we really don't understand even the original Sabbath that was centered around the creation of the world through word. And Lord, I pray now that we understand that in order to glorify you, we must love you through your word and love one another through your word. And we cannot do that if we don't see one another. Lord, convey that to us each and every day. Help us to to pray for one another, be thinking of one another, and loving you through one another, uh, uh, giving, ever, giving ever, every opportunity to, uh, to accomplish that. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.